What's up, Auburn Community Church? Y'all good? Glad to be at church. Awesome. That's a lot coming from this. How's this crew doing? Y'all good over here? All right. Y'all, y'all are slow starters, but y'all going to end big, right? Y'all just want me to preach this, this way the whole time, right? Y'all feeling good about that? Got War Eagle? All right. I bring greetings from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, thank you, Gage, for the shout out. Pastor at Passion City Church. I'm not an Auburn Tiger, but my pastor, Louie, is a huge Auburn Tiger guy. So on behalf of him, I have to say War Eagle or I'll not have a job tomorrow. So please report back that I said that. Um, I'm from Atlanta, married two kids, but originally from Texas. I went to Texas A&M University. So uh, can I get a gig of Maggie's? Hold, hold on. I just said War Eagle for you. So you can at least for the pastor that's coming to encourage you in the word of God and to help you in your faith, at least honor him by saying a gig of Maggie's, right? Still half-hearted. Y'all need to get right with the Lord, okay? Y'all just, we're going to have a moment of prayer and some worship because, Matt, I don't know if I can speak to this crew anymore. No, I um, am grateful to be here. This church is awesome. Pastor Miles, Matt, and Cheryl and the team, Gage, are phenomenal. And I just want to uh, just tell you, I think it's awesome that you're at church. And I really just love being in this space tonight. I've got huge expectation for what God is going to do. But I love this church. And I love what God is doing. I love how he's using Pastor Miles to preach a phenomenal word to help you, right? To shape you and to lead you. This is what God's called pastors to do, to feed the sheep, right? To help us. And that's what this View series has been all about. This team, the LDPs, the, the volunteers, the people that are making it all possible, it's just really special. So please don't, I don't know about you, I've, I've grown up in church and I'm used to a great church. I just don't want to take it for granted. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to just check it off the list. And coming from the outside looking in, right, this place is special and there is a place for you to be a part of it to make it even more special. So we're going to have a great night. I want to give a shout out to some of my dearest friends in the whole world. Mentioned her earlier, but um, a big part of this church is being built by the sacrifice and the gifts of Cheryl and David Bell right over here. Can we give them a shout out? And they'll um, sell themselves short, but I won't because I wouldn't be who I am or doing what I'm doing if it weren't for these two. I wouldn't be married to Brittany. I wouldn't be working at Passion. Passion would not exist if it weren't for Cheryl and David. Yes, God used Louie and Shelly Giglio, but their right hands since 1997 have been Cheryl and David Bell. And I'm just so grateful that Cheryl called me to offer me a job to be a part of Passion around 13 years ago. And so all that I've gotten to be a part of has been in large part thanks to them. So I love y'all, and I'm so grateful for you. Can we give it up for these guys one more time? We're in a, a series called Views through the book of Mark. I really encourage you to reach back and listen to the other talks if you missed them. They've been phenomenal talks. And Talked to Miles last week, and I was just like, hey, where do you want me to go? And he's like, we're in a series called View. If you could come out of the book of Mark, that would be phenomenal. And then just let's talk about one of life's big questions and make sure we have a gospel worldview to answer some of these big questions. He said, but I want you to feel freedom. I want you to feel like we trust you, and you can just, whatever the Lord puts on your heart, come and bring it to our people. And I was like, man, that's so encouraging. Like, so grateful that I get to, you know, go away and pray and think about what the Lord is going to have for me to bring. And so I go think about it, pray about it for a day or so, and then I send a text back 
after, you know, after that time. And I was like, hey, here's what I'm thinking. And I put a lot of thought into that text. It was a longer text. I tried to make it, you know, type out my points and make sure it was clear. So he'd give me that thumbs up, you know, that pastoral approval. And I would know it in the flow. And he was like, hey, that's great. But it's what I'm preaching on next week. So could you do something else? And I was like, well, what happened to freedom, man? You know, does not sound like freedom to me. But I'm shifting gears. We're going to Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to preach my heart out tonight. And I want you, I want you to lean in with all your heart. Because I, I had this sense this morning that I was, I was hoping for a few people tonight. Not everybody. I'm not just trying to be all like uber spiritual. I, I just had this hope this morning that this would be a, an evening. I was specifically thinking about the evening Services. No offense to the non-college students in the room, but I, was, I knew the evening services were going to have a lot of college students at them. And I was hoping for, for just a few that this could be a, a literal uh, you, you know, mark in the road, a, a memorial stone that you would never forget, that you would look back on January 31st and, and, and something changed, not through Brad Jones, but just God, the Holy Spirit, through the church, through the people, something changed and you would never forget in your story, you would look back on January 31st. And so I'm coming to Mark 10 and I'm preaching today and we're going to see in a minute that the question is, what is eternal life? There's a, there's a conversation that Jesus has with the rich young ruler. And many of you know that story. He shows up at the feet of Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so that's where we're going to jump on board tonight and say, how can, what is eternal life? Even if for a bunch of mostly Christians that have said they believe in Jesus and trusted their heart with him and received the gift of eternal life, do we even know what it is? I think for most of us, it's like my daughter who we, we're having to patch her strong eye because she has astigmatism in one eye. And to make that stronger, she can't look at it. And so two hours a day, we're having her walk around with a patch. And so she's only seeing like a little gl glimpse of what she normally sees with her good eye. And I think for a bunch of Christians, we, we're walking around with this patch when it comes to what is eternal life. Yes, we know John 3, 16. Yes, we can see big, big house with lots and lots of room. But I think we miss what even uh, so much of the fullness of what Jesus was talking about when he came announcing for God to love the world. That whoever believed in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's like this beautiful promise that, yes, we're putting our hope in, but we don't even really fully get what it's all about. And so we're going we're to talk about that in a moment. 8.30 gathering, 8.30 service this morning, right here. I'm not trying to over-dramatize the situation. This is what we're walking into tonight. On the third row, maybe the fourth, there's a 51-year-old man that was leaned in He's receiving the word of God. He's a part of this house. Have an amazing gathering. Within an hour, he's with Jesus. Blood clot, falling down. Gone. Him and his wife, right, right there. We're talking about this is eternal life. What is eternal life? There's a bunch of, uh, 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 about a thousand people, mostly college students, who we, we, we feel invincible. We feel, we, I do, I don't know about you. I, I take every day for granted. I never wake up in the morning and think, what, is, what if this is my last day on earth? 
And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that we're about to talk about eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, that this is true for Mike, who is now experiencing in fullness what we're only seeing in part. And I, I don't know Mike. I had a conversation with him from stage, me and him, because he said Giga Maggie's back, so he is extra, you know, the favor of, on him. Thank you, Mike. He's, and we're going to have some fun tonight, and we're going to laugh, and we're going to say amen, and we're going to respond, but we're going to also stand in the flow of something that God is doing that I don't know why. I, I can't explain it. I, I can't celebrate it. It's tragic. It's heartbreaking for his sons and his wife. But there is purpose not only in Mike's life, and there, but there is purpose in Mike's death. And his family asked if I would let you know that he went to be with Jesus today because Mike is going to preach to you tonight because Mike is with Jesus. It's time that we get serious about eternal life. Because it's, it's an invitation for you today even for the Christian that's already received it, but it's also a promise for you tomorrow. So let's, let's dig in. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, move. Jesus, move. I pray that we would all have fertile, the soil of our hearts would be fertile ground tonight to receive the word that you want to plant in our hearts. And please, God, may it bear much fruit. God, we pray for Mike's family right now. In the name of Jesus, calling on the God of all comfort, would you be near to them right now? Would you be their ever-present help in this time of trouble? Would you be their peace that surpasses all understanding? May they sense the nearness of your son, God, may, we, may you use Mike's life and his death to change trajectories in this place tonight. He's fully alive and fully awake, but may you use his life and death to give us a wake-up call while we still have time on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 17 of Mark chapter 10, as Jesus started on his way, a man came up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all, the, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Do not miss that underline, that circle, that put that in a highlight. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Amen. Anybody like this verse? I don't really like it, honestly. Like there's tension that it creates in me. I don't, I haven't preached on this a lot because it, it's confusing. 
It's like, well, I thought it was if anybody confesses in their heart or in their mouth and believes in their heart, they should be a child of God. If, if we you know, say Jesus Christ is Lord, our sins are forgiven. That's what the pastor told me. That's the prayer I said. I thought, I thought grace was the gift of God, not by works, but it was the free gift. It doesn't seem like it's free. He's saying if he wants to have eternal life, he has to follow the commandments and then go sell everything and then come. That's a long way from free, right? It's this tension, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to go sell everything, if I want to go give everything up, and so it makes me uncomfortable. I just kind of avoid it. I don't know about y'all, and just like me, this man says, at this, man, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And I think we all know that this room would can be considered very wealthy. I know you're a bunch of mostly college students that you're like, I don't know. It's my parents' credit card or I don't know. I've been eating a lot of Taco Bell, Brad. So you might have been preaching this to the morning service, but not tonight. We all know by the world standard, we have a lot of stuff. And Jesus looked around and says to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God? Then the disciples were amazed at his words. Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Who can make it? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible but not with God. All things are possible with God. And, and we've been avoiding this, but I think we need to dig into it a little bit more so we can fully understand why this tension exists. What was Jesus saying? Do we have to go sell everything? Can we have anything? I know a lot of you are going to school to try to get a job on behalf of your parents. I say, that's a good decision. Continue to look for a job. Continue to make good grades. Continue to try to provide for your family. But then all of a sudden, like, do I have to sell everything? Is this about a poverty? If I follow Jesus, do I have to move to Africa and, you know, live the missionary life? And how does this like match up with the fact that I'm going into school debt to be a nurse? And it's, it's tension. It's confusing. Well, it's a little bit deeper than what you just read at first glance. Let's dig through it a little bit. It says the guy's the rich young ruler. He was an impressive guy. How do I know that? He was the rich, young ruler, rich, impressive, young, impressive leader, ruler, impressive. I don't know if he was single, but ladies, if he was, would be any of y'all be willing to go on a date with him? Okay. Yes. I thank you for uh, Bowen. You gave one, uh, you, you would go on a, a date with him, right? You want me to set you up with somebody tonight? No. You're good. You promise. I, I have set up a few couples from stage that end up getting married. So I don't know, maybe I should come back on the Valentine's weekend and we'll just see if my spiritual gift is still alive. Seriously, one passion conference, I introduced a couple on stage and made them have it. Was anybody there? This was several years back. They were an Auburn couple too, for crying out loud. And I introduced them on stage, made them eat dinner in front of everybody, in front of 20,000 students. We put it on camera. I gave them about 10 minutes, came back later and asked how it was going. And a few years later, they got married. And they, they didn't even ask me to do the wedding. I'm like, <laughs> come on, honor, you know? He was rich, he was young, he was a, a leader, impressive resume. He was also impressive morally. He came in and he called, teacher, he called Jesus good, which it was typically a phrase referred to only God, right? But this was a good man. 
Because when he was the ruler, it actually meant he was a leader, a lay leader, not a, se- a rabbi, but a lay leader in the synagogue, a spiritual leader, an impressive moral person. Not like the Pharisees were just acting like they were all that great, but inside they were whitewashed tombs and they were just full of deceit. No, he was, he was a good guy. Even in approach, his approach to Jesus, he was very sincere. He ran, which would have been very abnormal for a person of high esteem. People would be like, what's up with that guy? It's not very proper and gentleman and stately to run. But he ran and he fell at Jesus's feet. This this shows that it's a sincere desire from this morally good, worldly, wealthy person. There was something missing in his heart. He just wasn't sure. Jesus shows up and starts talking about the kingdom of God and eternal life. And he just, he, he was unsettled, not confident what happens when he dies. Does he, in fact, inherit eternal life? So he comes with this question, but he's seeking sincerely. And he's seeking earnestly. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He had achieved so much. He had been able to accomplish really anything he wanted. And so he thought he surely could be able to earn his way to heaven. He thought he was good enough. And in fact, let's be honest, he probably just wanted Jesus. uh, He probably just wanted Jesus to tell him, you're good, bro. Don't stress. Don't worry. Don't lose sleep. You're good. Because, I mean, you just think about the conversation. Uh, No one's good. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. You shall not defraud and honor your father and mother. He said all these things sincerely. He said all these things in his own mind. I've kept them since I was young. He wanted Jesus to just give him a stamp of, yeah, man, don't worry. But it's not about being good, is it? It was my approach to my college classes. I wanted to do well, but I didn't care about getting an A. I ended up having really good grades, but I I didn't go in with a goal to have an A. My goal was to be better than the 95% of the class because I was really grateful to God for the curve. I knew a professor wasn't going to fail everybody. And so I knew that 5%, maybe 10% of the class was going to get an A. So I, if, I, if they all fail and I got a C, then that means I was going to get bumped up to an A. I don't know if they still do the curve. Because of my hair, you can tell I'm a lot older than I even think I am, right? But it's not about being better than most or, you know, the standout amongst the crowd. It's not about being good enough that we're banking our hope of salvation. And this is what this man was doing. And Jesus like, no, 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 no. It's not about good. This guy thought he was good. But Jesus was trying to remind him, hey, the Ten Commandments, they're actually not a checklist. They're not actually something you put on your resume. You know what the Ten Commandments are? Well, let's read it in Romans chapter 7. You got to get this. You got to know this. Verse 7, Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would, have not, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But when sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, Produced in me every kind of coveting. 
For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. This guy was trying to earn his life by showing his resume at the Ten Commandments by, while Jesus the whole time was trying to say, actually what the Ten Commandments do is prove you're dead. I'll repeat it again. Actually what the Ten Commandments do is prove you're dead. Prove you're spiritually dead. Because yes, they, they are good. It is good to keep the Ten Commandments. But it is a standard that no one can live up to. No one is good. Not even one is what the psalm says. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Short of God's standard. So he put this standard up. And no, none of us have murdered anybody that I know of in here. But in our hearts, we've had, we've had hatred in those thoughts that have come to life. Maybe if we ha haven't committed adultery, we've had lustful thoughts, right? So it's not just about the outward, it's about the inward. And the standard says, we've all fallen short for the wages of sin is death. And this, he's trying to tell this guy, not just go sell all your stuff, then come back. He's trying to point out the fact that this guy thinks he's good, thinks he's good enough, thinks he's gonna get graded on the curve. Hey man, it's not about being bad or good. You're dead. You're dead spiritually dead. The guy's still not getting it. So what does Jesus do? He said, one thing you lack, go sell everything. What? Go sell everything. Give it to the poor. Come back. Follow me. Then you're good. You're like, what is going on? Well, notice, I, th this was a new revelation for me. Notice, I, I don't know how much you're paying attention to the five commandments that Jesus quoted right there on the first part. They were the, the last five commandments, six through 10, about the way we treat each other, not committing adultery, not murdering, not coveting, honor your father and mother. These are the horizontal relationship commandments, making sure we don't sin against God by sinning against each other. Jesus hadn't mentioned the first five. What were the first five commandments? They're all about our, our vertical relationship with God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol in man's image. I am the Lord and my name is holy. Keep it holy. You know, remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Vertical relationship. And so Jesus is saying, he's, he's pushing because he sees him and he knows him. This man is no stranger to Jesus. He walks up to Jesus. Jesus knows exactly who he's dealing with. Just like when you walk in here tonight, I don't know you, but Jesus knows you. He knows the, he knows the good and the bad, the, the great, the ugly. He knows the things in your heart, right? The hidden things in your heart. Jesus is speaking to you because he knows you. He knows this man and he knows he doesn't need his stuff. He wants his worship. He told him to go sell everything because he realized that that guy's whole life, he knew that guy's whole life was revolving around his stuff. He was looking for faith, not in the things of this world, but in the son of God, right? He was looking for love, not in the things of this world, but in Jesus Christ. He was looking for repentance because he had made an idol in his own image. He had put other things before God and Jesus just in love trying to call him out and saying, that's not gonna be good enough. That's not gonna get you anywhere. You gotta realize that you're worshiping the wrong thing. And he pushes at him a little bit. He said, you want eternal life? You gotta, 
You got to realize that it starts with think, remembering that you are dead in your transgressions and sins. And only Jesus could bring you life. I think that the man asked the wrong question. He asked, what shall I do? He should have just asked, where are you going? Jesus, where are you going? When, you go, when, when somebody's going on, a, I mean, it's an easy, uh, easy question. Hey, you're going on a trip. Where are you going? Who, I mean, anybody in here would like to go on a trip tomorrow? Where would you want to go? The beach? College Station, Texas? Anybody? Atlanta, Georgia? No. Anybody? Yeah, kind of. Anybody from Atlanta, by the way? Cool. Anybody have a hand that they want to raise and tell me something? Okay, cool. He just should have said, where are you going? Because how did this start? As Jesus started on his way, where was, he was going to Jerusalem. And this was the final trip that Jesus was going to make to Jerusalem. And what was he going to do in Jerusalem? He wasn't just going to the temple. He was going to prove he was the temple. He was going to give his life on the cross for the salvation of all mankind, for you, for me, and this, young, this rich young ruler. If he would have just said, Jesus, where are you going? Maybe Jesus would have said, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. Because now is the time that has been ordained from the very beginning for me to give my life for the sins of mankind, to satisfy the wrath because the mankind has fallen short of God's holy standard. And only me as a pure, spotless lamb of God, sacrificed on the cross, can atone for, pay the price for, appease the, for the wrath of God. So I'm, I'm, on my way. I'm on a trip. I'm going to Jerusalem. And if you want to know what you got to do, you just got to get out of my way so I can go because I'm going to do what only I can do. This is the, the, the eternal life, the cost of eternal life. Not what you can do, but what you, when you see what's already been done. This is eternal life. How do, we, how do we think about it correctly, though? How do, while we're not there yet, while we're not in Mike's seat, how can we... Hey, just get a little bit more of a glimpse. I think there's three things that I, want to, I just want to submit to you that will help you when it comes to having the right thinking about eternal life. Not just where are you going to go when you die. Not just get out of hell free. Not just making sure your family has some hope when you go on and you pass away so they can say you're, you're going to see you in heaven. How can you really embrace what Jesus was talking about with eternal life? One, we have to embrace the timeline. Embrace the timeline. I'm thinking about timelines a lot because this has been a, a challenging year with guidelines of timelines. Uh, anybody with me on that? And I know there's a lot of heartache and loss in the year, but there's also just been a lot of information, changes of information, whether it be when's school going to start, when's it going to stop, is there going to be a spring break, is there not going to, it's all these timeline. If you're in leadership, you know you're stressed by making, trying to make the right decisions about when church should, should open up, when it should not. And uh, then you got the isolation and the quarantine and it, can I go places and am I still sick or should I go out? It's just like timeline, timeline, timeline. We recently had COVID in our family. And so we were under a timeline and I didn't want to embrace the timeline, right? I was like, break me out of this jail free with two. I mean, uh, this beautiful, amazing home without a family I love. It's just like, get, when can I get out? I mean, I love my family so much. My, my wife's not here, so I'm okay. Just don't tell her that, all right? Timeline. 
And I didn't want to embrace the timeline because it was a bunch of us in a really small space. But when it comes to eternal life, we got to embrace the timeline. What's the timeline? The timeline is that eternal life doesn't just start when you get to heaven. Eternal life starts when you put your faith in Jesus. Eternal life is not just about one day. It's about right now. Do you think about that? When I say you can have the gift of eternal life, do you think about you're living in that life right now? What do I mean by that? It says in John chapter 3, this is eternal life. Not that we go just to heaven when we die. That's not what Jesus said. He said, what is eternal? This is eternal life that they may know you, God. He was praying. And the one you have sent. Eternal life isn't a destination at the end of earth. Eternal life is where you're at right now. If you put your faith in Jesus, you have that life. It's in your, it's in your head. It's in your heart. It's the presence of God coming to live in you. Do you think about that? That you're, you're not dead. You're alive if you put your faith in Jesus. And you can experience that life right now. He said, Jesus said, I've come to, that you can have life. And have it to the full. Not just about one day way down the road, but right now start experiencing the fullness of what it means to follow Jesus. Embrace the timeline. Don't just think about it one day down the road. This is the timeline. John chapter 1. He, he came to give life. And that life was the light of men and women. What's this mean? Is that God shines light, right? His words, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and it just tries to shine light on who we were really created to be. What's going to truly satisfy? What's going to bring you the most joy? This is eternal life starts now. Not listening or looking at all the things of the world and all the stuff of the world like, man, I got to accumulate. I got to store up. I got to build my life on the rocks of this earth. It's like, no, shining light, that's not going to fill your heart. Just remember the rich young ruler. He had it all. Status, money, leadership. No, let, let them shine light. Who are you were created to be? What purpose you're living for? This is eternal life that starts right now. Embrace the timeline. The second thing is to consider the possibilities. Speaking of Valentine's Day coming up, it's like, all right, shoot your shot. Consider the possibilities. Fellas, all you have to do is ask. They might say no, but at least you ask, right? So it might be your fault, not their fault, that you're single still. So just give it a shot. Can I get an amen from the ladies? Yeah, I'm I'm here to serve. I'm here to help. Consider the possibilities. You got anybody that loves making decisions here? Like you love it? I appreciate your participation tonight. Like you love, I'll just do a quick poll when it comes to how you make decisions. Anybody, the pros, cons list person, like you will like write out a really good detailed pros and cons list. Um, anybody just decide I don't want to make decisions and I will put it off for as long as I can and I'm still not sure what my major is. I've changed it three or four times. You're like some proud. Anybody on the flip a coin mentality? It's like, hey, it doesn't matter like what job to take, what girl to date or what to have for lunch. If God can fling the stars in this space, then he can direct this to heads or tails and I'm going to trust him to that matter. You know who I am? I hate to admit it. <laughs> I'm a poll taker. Like, I, I, I know there's wisdom in counselors, but I'll just straight up, like, take a thousand votes on what I should do. What do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? And it's like, this, I, I just tallied up in my mind, and it's like, that's 82 to 74. Okay, let me ask a few more people just to make sure. Well, this guy had a decision to make. 
He had an encounter with, with Jesus. He said, you want eternal life? He said, go sell all your stuff. And so he had to, he had to make a decision. And he, he started thinking about all of his stuff and what it would be like without it. And if he was going to give it up. And then Jesus is talking about treasures in heaven. So it feels like with Jesus, I don't know about y'all, but it's always this, this struggle between short term and long term. Right? And you're like, well, I, I mean, I'm in college I don't know if I want to go to the Jesus route. No, you're at church tonight, so you're a, a step ahead. But I don't know if I want to fully go in because what I'm going to miss out on, on right now. And I know there's treasures in heaven. And I know that I'm going to spend forever in heaven. I can live for that now. But maybe I just wait a few years. Maybe I, I sow my wild seeds while I'm in college. Live the college life. Get the full college experience. I'm going to get married one day, but I'm just going to live it up right now. Have a little fun. It's, it's just, it's not like salvation, Brad. It's just like, just take a little bit more season to, to consider the possibility of the worldly pleasures. And, and you know, you know it's not right. There's conviction in your heart. You know you need to be living for treasures in heaven. Well, that's what this guy was facing. I want eternal life, but I want this stuff right now. He was wrong. Because with Jesus... It's short-term and long-term. It's now and later that the promise comes. It's not just fullness of joy and pleasures in heaven, but when we begin to live for Jesus and give our life as a fragrant offering to Jesus, we offer our bodies as a spiritual sacrifice like Romans chapter 12. It's not just later, but it's now that we get in on the good stuff. It's now that we get, begin to experience that life that Jesus wants us to live. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Even coming to church, it's, I mean, you can go to any uh, party at Auburn and have a little bit of fun. There'll be shame the next day, right? But you come to church and you see God move and you see the Holy Spirit at work. You start serving on a team and you start helping make a way for other people to come to Jesus. That's my favorite thing about church. It's not just about the people on stage. It's like when we, I, I, my favorite gatherings are Christmas gatherings. Now, I, we got a bunch of our door holders. That's what we call our volunteers and we're all in the, in the hallways and the ovals and we're giving up our Christmas Eve and we're, we're jamming the place out just like y'all jam Sundays out here and there's, there's just a bunch of high fives. Can you believe we get to do this? Isn't this awesome? Because it's not, yes, we're so grateful for the people leading from stage, but if it weren't for the people in the parking lot, the people in the room wouldn't get into the room to hear the people on stage. And so that's the way the kingdom of God works. That's the way that church works. It's not just him using the gifts of one or two people. It's all. And, and you're like, man, this is good because we're in impacting eternity. We're all leveraging our lives to chain, help to see God change people's lives. And if you, if you want another example, you want church to be great. If you want like church to be really good and you're like, you want your heart in it, it yes, coming and serving, but also bringing somebody with you and, and talk, about, uh, talk about being nervous. Thank you, Lord. Talk about being nervous. I, don't, I would encourage you, challenge you, make it a goal. In the next by the end of the semester, bring one person that has never come to church with you. That's not just at another church and they're going to come check out ACC. But one person that is not a Jesus follower, that's on a journey, bring them to church with you. How are you going to get them to church? You're going to get them to church, yes, by inviting them, but probably more likely being real in front of them. 
Why would they want to go to church with somebody that just does one thing on the, during the week and then just acts like they follow Jesus during the weekend or on, on Sunday? It's going to be being consistent, being caring, being different, praying for them. You know that they're struggling or they're having a hard time in life or you just know they don't know Jesus. You just begin praying for them. Then you get you know, so convicted and so burdened for their salvation because they think it's about being good enough, but it's really about being that they're dead in their transgressions. And since so you begin to ask other people to pray for them. And then you get the confidence to be like, hey, you want to come to church with me? If you've ever been, you've never had your heart in those moments more into what the pastor's gonna say on that Sunday than if you're bringing somebody with you for the very first time and you're like, please, Lord, may Pastor Miles not be talking about giving. You know, like, just may it be different. And you're like, well, please let him not screw it up. I got this guy with, him, with me and I just, this is his moment. I, I had that a few, a few weeks ago, a few months ago. We were having an outdoor revival night guy I've been investing in. He's come to church a couple times, but I hadn't talked to him in a few months. And I kind of was like, I don't know. And so he texted me that morning and said, hey, you got any more spots at the revival night? And I was like, no way. This guy wants to come to something called revival night? Like, I mean, God is moving, you know? It's just like he, he wanted to come. I didn't invite him. He just saw it on Instagram. I've been investing in him. And so me and Louie are on stage and we're about to, he's about to go out and, and lead. And we're just talking about a few more things about what's coming next. And I was like, oh, by the way, one of my friends is way back over there. We, I, I began to try to like kind of point because I didn't want him to think we were pointing at him. But I was like, yeah, it's the guy about my height, this, you know, whatever, whatever. And I was like, Louie, just don't screw this up, okay? And, he, and my heart was in it. And, and I was just praying, God, move. I was considering the possibility. And it wasn't just because I was a pastor, but do you consider the possibility of the people in your life that God might be working on them through you to save them into eternal life? Do you not regard people from a worldly point of view? Not just what the earth sees and what stuff they have and what car they drive and what their Instagram's life, but do you, you see them as somebody that's dead in their sins? but yet you consider the possibility for their life and then realize that you might be the way that God's gonna use, you might be the person in the way that God's gonna use to bring them to life. If somebody in your class, somebody in your work, somebody in your family. This morning I was talking to a young man, he was in tears because he had given up on his dad's salvation and when I said the word consider the possibility, he, he had this renewed desire to begin to pray for his father that his father would come to know Jesus and have eternal life. I'm thinking about, there's some, there's some students in here that you're, this conviction settling in because you know your parents are praying for you and you've gone your own way and you're doing your own thing and you've pretty much checked out on faith and you have a parent that is considering the possibility that you might return to Jesus. Consider the possibility that God, no one is too far. God's arm, Jesus' arm is never too short to save. And he can reach the furthest person. So don't, let's not give up on ourselves and let's not give up on anybody else. Let's consider the possibility. And then there's nothing better. I'll tell you what, there is nothing better. 
I could take you when I was in college to a very spot on campus that I was leaving a big Bible study much like this, a big church gathering, and I was walking out of the, we were meeting at the baseball field, just like y'all met some venues on campus. I was walking out. A guy from my high school, a few years older than me, stopped me in my tracks. I didn't even know he was at A&M. He had transferred in, and I was really shocked that he was at a Bible study. Like, I was like, you lost, man? Like, you, you, I, I, the bars are around the corner. Why you, what, what are you doing here? And he was like, Brad, oh, my gosh. And, and this is before I was a pastor or a whatever, a professional, if you will. Obviously, I'm so good. I'm professional with this. No, I'm kidding. I, admit, I wanted an amen, not a laugh right there, but that's cool, you know. And it is all by God, but he uses people in his grace. And he was like, said something along the lines of, Brad, I, I, I'm following Jesus. My life's been changed. And you were a part of that. Because when you were in high school, you were kind to me and you lived different me, differently. And you gave me an example of what it was like to follow Jesus. And this was three or four years later. And I, I could take you back to the very spot. I couldn't take you back to much that made a forever impact, impact on my college career. I could probably drive you to the house that I lived in for a year, but probably I know you're going to like, that's no way. I'm like, yeah, I've forgotten a lot of my college. I will never forget the place that he stopped me and said, if it weren't for you, I don't know if I would be here. So let's consider the possibility, not just now and later, but now or now or later, but now and later. And let's begin to live our lives, not just one day down the road, but right now we can live our lives for what matters most, what will fill you up, what will make you really celebrate, what will not lead to regret, what will give you a source of joy and satisfaction when you are a part of somebody's eternity changing forever and you get to be a small piece of that. There's nothing I don't care how many football games Auburn wins. There is nothing compared to helping people's lives change forever. Consider the possibility. And then lastly, we're going to settle in on where Mike is even today. Set your heart on a pilgrimage. You want to think right about eternal life? You embrace the timeline. You consider the possibilities. And then you set your heart on a pilgrimage. The example I have for that is I remember it's when Cheryl called. And she, I, I thought, was going to call and ask. And we had a little bit of conversation about me helping with the world tour in 2008 with Passion. And they were going to... 17 different international cities to do passion gatherings with college students in the name of Jesus around the world. 17 different international cities. And they, they had mentioned that they might need one more person to help with Manila, Philippines. We were supposed to have a phone call and I'd cleared it with my church. They were excited for me to go. And then at the very last minute, it shifted that they might need some more help with some of the rest of the tour. And Cheryl called me and it was like, hey, I know we had talked about Manila, but could you go on the whole thing? I was like, uh, yeah, uh, that's an easy answer. I mean, going around the world to all these awesome cities in the name of Jesus to host gatherings. She's like, well, you're going to be a roadie. 
you're basically gonna make sure everyone gets to the venue and the airport and the hotel and you're gonna make sure all their gear gets there. So if you're cool carrying Chris Tomlin and David Crowder's guitar and everybody else is in the band, then we need you. And I'm like, I don't care what I'm doing. You just put me on that plane. I am happy to go. And in, in, in fact, she doesn't, she wouldn't know this, but I am not figuratively, but literally jumping when I'm talking to her. I'm trying to act it all cool, but I'm like, and I was just like pumping my fist. I was just like, this is unbelievable. I cannot believe it. Like unreal. And for weeks uh, leading up to that, we, I was serving at a church in Texas and we had a, a map of the world in the prayer room. And I just would go in there just mind blown that I was going to get to go on this world tour with Cheryl and David and passion. Like mind blown. And I would just look at the map. And I knew the order of the cities and I would just move my eyes from city to city. No way. Going there, going there, going there, going there. No way. Sydney and Hong Kong and Tokyo and Vancouver and Mexico City and Cape Town and Johannesburg and Kampala and Jakarta. And then I I learned the order and I would rehearse it every day. Kiev, Ukraine. Stockholm, Sweden. Sao Paulo, Brazil. Kampala, Uganda, 20,000 college students on a university field in Kampala, a very poor country, poorest on the tour. We went straight from there after God did so much. They even gave an offering to the students in Paris, France, poorest city to the richest city on the tour. But we made that flight 20,000, but to a th- only 1,000 in Paris. But at the time, maybe even still today, is the largest gathering of collegiate Christians in the city in the name of Jesus. We were there not just in the name of passion, but more so in the name of Jesus, Paris, London. And then there was another leg and I would just rehearse it. I would rehearse it. I would rehearse it. I'm going on this trip. I want to think about it. I want to get ready for it. I want to embrace it. It was setting my heart on a pilgrimage because I knew the destination. I knew where I was going. And this is what the psalmist says, right? He said, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. Student, mom, dad, young person, old, what's your heart set on? What's the center of your being set on? What's the object of your focus, the object of your worship? This is what Jesus was telling the rich young man. You want to be a part of eternal life? Then it's not later when you think you're going to inherit something. It's now when you can begin to follow me and experience life with me. But you got, you got to set your heart on the right thing. So yes, studying God's word, spending time in prayer, going to church, being in a community group. All these things are so helpful because they, they help us set our hearts on a pilgrimage, I, I talked to another young man after the 8.30, came up, he's like, Brad, I, I've, I've, I've just been going through the motions my whole life. And I, I'm just in a rut. And I just don't know if I'm getting it. I should get it because I'm always in church and I've heard all the messages and I've heard all the sermons and trying to do all this stuff, but I just, there's no joy coming out. It's not a desire, it's more of a duty. And I, I mean, that's a tough question. We all have to wrestle with it. Like keep setting your heart on a pilgrimage. I was like, I just encourage you to go and memorize all of Psalm 84. And so you get it in your head. You keep reminding yourself, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. Might not be true, but you're, you're trying to get it true. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My 
my heart, my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those, skipping down to verse four, who are dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Just memorize it. When I was in college, pastor encouraged me to memorize a, a whole book of the Bible. And so I took them up on it and I would read one verse a day, seven times out loud. Then I would put it away and I would read it and then I would recite it from memory seven times. And that was pretty much enough and I had that verse. The next day I would do verse two and then I would combine that with verse one and I would just begin to just memorize and meditate and regurgitate God's word. But as it was in my head over and over again, it started getting in my heart and it was setting my heart on a pilgrimage, remembering this earth isn't our home. The things of this world won't last. We can, we, we can get as much stuff. You can, I mean, and if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be an investment maker, if you want to be a professional athlete, if you want to be wealthy, you're, you don't have to give it all up. Just don't build your life on it. Don't worship it. And you know, but also God knows what you worship. And so if the, if the worldly blessings come, let them come, but they can also quickly fade. And so you don't want to be building your life on, on sinking sand. And the word of God in your head and your heart just reminds you, yeah, come what may, good or bad, highs or lows, blessings or droughts. I'm going to build my life on the rock because I'm on a pilgrimage. I'm going to meet Jesus. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm a sojourner. I'm an alien in this world. And so I'm going to walk with my gaze on heaven. Mike showed up to church this morning in the house of God. He's ending in this day in the presence of God. And that's the outcome for every single one of us. So let's get our heads and let's get our hearts there right now. And it says right after that, as they passed through the valleys of Baca, those whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage, it says in Psalm 84, as they passed through the valleys of Baca, because he was talking about this journey to the temple of God. When you go to Jerusalem, it's higher up. And so you got to go naturally through some valleys before you climb the mountains. And the valleys were places of not much water. It was burdensome. People didn't always survive through the valleys. But you think about the circumstantial valleys that we've been in. The really tough year. Some of it COVID and pandemic and justice related, but some of it just marriage or life or depression issues. It's been a hard year for many of you. For most of us, it's a, it's a valley in the word baka. They don't know exactly what valley they were referring to, but it also means weariness. And we've been walking through a, a, a valley of weariness. But it says those whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage, they make that valley of wilderness, a place of weariness, a place of springs. And even rains come down, autumn rains come down from heaven. What's that mean? Well, those that were surviving and not just surviving, but thriving on the pilgrimage, they would dig down and see if there was some water that wasn't on the surface, that wasn't so easy to get, that wasn't in abundant supply, but they would dig down to see if there was some wells to get that sustenance that they needed. Those whose hearts were, we're going to make it. We're getting there. We're going to the temple to meet with God. They made the valleys. The valleys weren't going to take them out. 
the valleys weren't going to make them give it up. They might have to work a little harder. They might have to dig a little deeper, but they're going to find the water, the living water. Or they might dig some holes, right? Build some, build some pits and then the autumn rains would come and, and, fill up the wa- and fill up the pools. So they had something to drink. They made it. It wasn't easy. This is what scripture says to find water, but they made it a place of springs. So you're in a moment of wilderness or weariness. I don't know why I keep saying wilderness, but I should look at my notes occasionally. You're in a place of weariness. Bible doesn't promise you it'll all be easy. Following Jesus will be tough. There is a cost to discipleship. And you might be experiencing that cost more than you ever have in your life, but it does not mean that you can't make it a place of springs, of overflowing water in your life that doesn't just give you stuff and happiness, but it gives you joy and purpose and fulfillment, not just for your life, but for others. Because when there was pools of water, you better believe other people were showing up saying, can I get some of that? This place is weary. This place is tired. I don't know if I'm gonna make it, but I see you got some water. Can I have a drink? Yeah, here's some living water. That's, what's, that's what the plan is of God for your life. Not just to, through the valleys, you find sustenance, but you be able to show that sustenance and to provide that sustenance to other people. So people will be showing up to you. Why are you so different? Man, there's something special about you. Yeah, this, this, this year has been so tough, or this season has been so tough, or everybody's living one other way, but there, there's something special about you. Yeah, my heart is set on a pilgrimage. And then lastly, I'll wrap up. It's what preachers say when they want more time and they know they're over time, but they just continue to think that, tell people they're gonna wrap up. Don't miss that there was a conversation that day with Jesus with two rich, or there was, a, there was a conversation happening with two rich young rulers. Because Jesus was a rich young ruler. He was rich, eternal rich, everlasting rich. Uh, he was sitting in glory rich, had it all, angels surrounding him rich. All things were created by him and for him. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills rich. He was young, the one and only son of God. And he was in charge. All things were given under his feet, right? But unlike the, the worldly rich young ruler, our rich young ruler was willing to give it all up, not just so he could have eternal life, but so he could give eternal life. So what Philippians says, that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He gave it all up, gave it all up took the form of a servant and became obedient, even to, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God gave him the highest name. In the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father, you have a rich young ruler who gave it all up so that you could have what you could never do on your own. So in turn, let's, Jesus set his heart on a pilgrimage. When he was on earth, when he was on his way to Jerusalem, everybody tried to make him the earthly king. Is it time to restore the kingdom of Israel? 
It's Hosanna's here. We're going to put him on the throne. Jerusalem is back, baby. Let's take you to the palace. So no, I'm going to the cross. I'm on a mission. I'm on a pilgrimage. There's been a preordained journey marked out for me in love by my father to do for people like Mike what he could never do for himself and do for a bunch of students and uh, young adults and uh, families and men and women in Auburn, Alabama to do for them and accomplish for them what they could never accomplish on their own. I got to, he, he set his heart on a pilgrimage. And so even though there was detractors and there was Judases and there was Pharisees and there was opposition and there was success and there was fame and there was promise and opportunity from the devil to try to take it all in the moment. He said, no, my, my heart is on a pilgrimage. And so he's inviting us not to go through the motions, not just to wait till one day, but to start living it right now with our heart on a pilgrimage. Let's pray. We're gonna take a moment And Matt and the team are about to sing over us. But I want to have a response time and some space. I don't want you to feel any obligation from your neighbor. You can stand, you can sit. We're going to sing a little bit older song that's been stirring in my heart. You might know it, you might not. You can just let them sing over you for a bit. But my heart is heavy. And I'm, I'm specifically thinking about college students that are in danger of being like this rich young ruler that had an opportunity that he wasted. And he walked away sad because he he wasn't sure what to choose from and I even I even think in and maybe it's easy right now in college at Auburn Community Church where it's packed and a bunch of people are following Jesus but you're already thinking about the fact that maybe next weekend or next month or next year or when it's just all on your own you if you get the option and it's between wealth and success and stuff or following Jesus then you're going to walk away And I just want us to take a moment in honor of Mike's life and in honor of Mike's death to confront the fact that we're all heading to the same place. And let's not miss this opportunity to have a a marker moment with Jesus. The options are put in front of you every single day. And they'll continue to be put in front of you every single day. And you got God's word and God's people saying, choose life. Not just one day down the road, but choose life right now. Because better is one day Jesus with you than a thousand elsewhere. So seal in our hearts, God, that there is nothing that compares to knowing you, to walking with you. And would you help get our eyes off of the stuff? We repent. 
and we confess that we've been too infatuated with the stuff of the earth. And we might see in part today, but soon and very soon we'll see in full, just like Mike has a glimpse right now. Mike's not dead. Mike is alive, whole, free, and give us a greater glimpse, Jesus, that there is nothing and no one better than you, and you can, we can start getting a taste of that life right now.